0: Pushing people to interact with something they, are, they do not understand or not familiar with, immediately, in a, in a blink of an eye, uh, eradicates the fear and creates acceptance and understanding. And just it's a magical thing that happens. So I've watched that with kids in, in our town and, uh, and even adults. And I, I just think that's like one of my biggest lessons uh, with Jack.
1: Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I will be your host for the program tonight. About 19 years ago, Mitch Tuckman was sitting at a McDonald's when he saw a school bus unloading a group of severely disabled teenagers. The sight and proximity of the teens really rattled him, and he wept. You see, two years before, he and his wife had given birth to a disabled boy named Jack, and the teens provided a glimpse into theirs and Jack's future. Mitch joins us to talk about the many lessons he and his family have since learned from Jack and the company that grew out of his motivation to ensure that Jack would never become a financial burden to his siblings or others, and which helps retirement investors keep more money in their pockets. Mitch, welcome to Grace in 30.
0: Uh, Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me.
1: Let's just kick off and start with you telling us when you first realized that Jack had a disability.
0: Uh, Yeah, so my wife and I... um... Uh, we were married in '95 uh, and wanted to start a family um, immediately. I was uh, about 40 years old, uh, so we we uh, gave uh, gave birth to Jack, um, and uh, probably in late '96. And we noticed that he, uh, after six months, just wasn't moving. Something just didn't feel right about. His movement and the way he was acting, even as an infant, and I, uh, I attribute that insight to my wife. Uh, she, she sort of picked it up. I, I was just, kind of, you know, kind of a, a dad who wasn't paying that kind of attention. But we took him in for some tests, and lo and behold, uh, the doctors uh, at Stanford Hospital, where I live here in Northern California, said, "Well, you know, fasten your seatbelts. So this child has some disability." Uh, might be a slow learner. We we don't really know, but um, you know, you're you're gonna you're not you're not going to be raising a normal kid. So, you know, I didn't really I thought, oh boy, you know, have no idea what that's going to look like. Uh, but that was uh, you know kind of the beginning of this uh, this ride. Jack will be 22 this December, and uh, it's been a an interesting experience.
1: So tell us about the shock of hearing that kind of news. I mean, did, did it take a while to settle in and? you come to the realization what you were facing
0: well you don't i mean you just know wow it's not going to be normal but uh it was our first child so we didn't know what normal was uh other than you know watching nieces and nephews grow up and friends with their kids and we didn't even know what disabled meant uh so we didn't really understand what how we would turn out so probably the first couple years of his life he resembled lots of other babies and little kids uh, as the years went on, it took him longer to walk. Uh, he benefited from uh, something called hippotherapy, which allowed him to learn how to, uh, on a horse, uh, learn to get his muscles firing. Anyway, fast forward, he, uh, w- we never had a diagnosis, uh, maybe until about six years ago, ironically. And so if you met Jack today, you'd see a very happy, good-looking guy. He uh, has no physical... Uh, attributes like he's not ambulatory he doesn't need a feeding tube or anything like that um, but he uh, he probably has the mind or the brain of a one-year-old he can understand very simple uh, directions jack sit down jack stand up uh, he's very happy happy all the time um, and uh, and he uh, you know walks around but doesn't really understand his own safety and um so as he, as he grew older, he clearly wasn't developing like other kids. Uh, but uh, we, we didn't really kind of know what normal was as, until, you know, he got a little older. And then we, uh, we never had the diagnosis, but we, uh, we had a little faith that it was uh, kind of a one-off, maybe a fluke. Uh, we, none of our families had any uh, uh, history of, of, of disabilities or anything or, or uh, intellectual delay or anything like that. So we had uh, two other children, Leo and Lucy, who are now um, 18 and 15, respectively, and uh, woven Jack into the fabric of our family.
1: So tell us about some of the early concerns that you had. And you talked on the phone with me. You said, hey, a lot of fear and sleepless nights after that experience in McDonald's. And these fears and all, a lot of them led to many good surprises. Tell us about some of those things
0: when you have a kid like this, uh, you don't know what, what, what the socializing is going to be like. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest, uh, where, you know, in the sixties where there were class, a classroom full of the, the slow learner kids or the, what was the the term back then was the mentally retarded kids. And, uh, they were made fun of sometimes. And, uh, so I was worried, wow, we're going to you know, have this kid and the kids are going to make fun of him and uh, his brothers and sisters are going to be, you know, be getting in fights defending him. And I had all these scenarios based on my own past. Uh, it turned out to be the opposite, in fact, um, whether it's that we live in Northern California and there's a lot of uh, inclusion and, and 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 forward thinking about that. But in fact, Jack uh, went to school with my other two kids in their elementary school in a classroom full of uh, uh, slower learning or uh, delayed kids, and um, they were embraced by the whole school. And uh, one day, you know, I was walking downtown in my my hometown, and kid ran up. I thought he was running up to me. I didn't know who he was. I was walking with Jack, and he ran up and said, "Hey, Jack!" You know, and he introduced his mom to Jack, and you know, Jack. Jack's cool, Jack's different, but, but he's cool, and he's fun, and he's happy, and uh, it's just been really amazing to see that uh, the community, by just changing the way that uh, kids interact with kids with disabilities uh, works, uh, creates such acceptance. I think, really, when we meet people who are different than us, our initial reaction is fear because we're not, we're not, uh, we're not exposed to that person. But in, the, in a moment, in a moment, uh, a kid who's kind of forced into a situation where they're having to interact with a kid with a disability, uh, and they're 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 kind of made to connect. Within seconds, when the connection occurs, uh, the kid's forever changed, and they're not afraid. They're they're more uh, they embrace other people, and and I watched that happen in the school district and with Jack, and. Um, to this day, you can see when a, when you read a person who uh, interacts with Jack, you can see it in their face whether they've engaged with people with disabilities or or not. Um, one is, oh yeah, Jack, how do I interact with Jack? You know, just a, a total comfort, and the other is uh, kind of a fear, not knowing what to do. But it's been a really interesting uh, thing to watch over the years.
1: Well, you told me that part, one of the characteristics of his uh, condition is that he. he... He laughs a lot, and he'll actually sneak up on people and plant a kiss on them. <laughs> tell, us, yeah. tell us some stories about that.
0: Well, no, he, uh, his disorder, at is called uh, Pitt-Hopkins. Uh, Pitt-Hopkins is a rare genetic disorder. Um, there's a great website, PittHopkins.org. Uh, maybe there's a thousand people in the world that have been diagnosed with it. And, uh, you know, thanks to the marvel of the Internet, Uh, parents like us uh, once we got the diagnosis which is very very random and hard to do we're able to uh, commune with other families all over the world uh, that have a a family member with this disorder but uh, when you when 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 a a web community collectively begins to contribute information you start learning the attributes of, of this particular disorder and so yeah it's it's a We just thought it was peculiar to Jack, but it tends to be peculiar to this disorder, Pitt Hopkins, where uh, there can be fits of uncontrollable laughter without provocation. (laughs) I think is the terminology. (laughs) And uh, and the
1: kissing as well.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I don't know about all the kissing, (laughs) Uh, but Jack is—he's just a nice guy, and uh, he—he's—I think he's been treated very well in our household, and so. He uh, he likes to walk up and interact with people. He's got you know a kind of a funny personality like that, um, and yeah, he loves. If he likes you, he just wants to give you a kiss.
1: That's that's great. So, what's the latest on him? Where where's he living? How's he doing? Yeah, catch us up in that sense.
0: Well, he lives at home, and I think he will always live live at home. Uh, he um, uh, goes to school every day. Uh, he's not autistic, but his Behavior often resembles someone on the autism spectrum. So he's at a school uh, called the Morgan Autism Center of San Jose, California. And he uh, he goes there every day and uh, learns a little bit based on his, uh, his uh, plan design and uh, goes there every day and comes home. He's uh, very well taken care of.
1: So let's segue into Rebalance. Tell us how your experiences with Jack led you to start your current company.
0: Uh, Well, so, you know, back around that time, Ed, I was, uh, again, I live here in Silicon Valley, and I um, had had a career as a software entrepreneur uh, uh, from the early 80s leading into the late 90s. And if you recall, there was a period here in the Valley where uh, when the Internet began to take hold, uh, it was called the dot-com boom, and I was a player in that boom. I was part of that and was fortunate enough to sell a business and uh, get involved in a few others uh, in which I had invested that did very well during that period. And, and also we had had Jack, so uh, it was one of those uh, moments in time where you wake up and you've got a responsibility to take care of this person for God knows how long. And also the money to really uh, know that you can do that uh, properly. And I was took the money as a as a great sign that I better really figure out how to manage it properly. And so I um, I began to look at options for for this, and I went to all the usual firms that are based in Wall Street, like uh, you know Merrill Lynch, UBS, uh, Goldman Sachs, etc. And I. Uh, yeah, I, I do have a lot of background in in business and finance. I have a Harvard MBA from from way way back in the in the day of uh, early 80s. So I was able to call upon some friends and try to better understand my options for how to take care of this this money and be a, a proper uh, steward of it. Um, and I kept really getting a lot of alarm bells going off uh, that if I engaged with a lot of these firms that. Uh, they wouldn't really be taking care of me and my money, they'd be taking care of them and their and their, their salaries and their money, and that I really wasn't engaging with an industry that I could trust. So I, I stayed away from it, and I kept asking and inquiring. And in my journey, I ran across a person who ran a hedge fund, an old friend of mine, and he made me a very interesting and surprising offer. He said, well, if you really want to learn the business, why don't you join the business? Uh, I said, well, I never really thought of it. and It never occurred to me that I'd enjoy it or be any good at it. But he convinced me otherwise, and I began to um, help him analyze companies that had recently gone public uh, in Silicon Valley during the dot-com boom. And it led to a seven-year career uh, in money management, working working for a fund that was uh, a very high performing fund that was very good at picking stocks and outperforming the market. and i uh, I got into that business uh, through this concern about managing my own money with Jack.
1: So you started to you wanted to really carefully manage this liquidity event, this money you got out of this event. and you started getting smarter. when When did you uh, you started a small company sort of organically and and more and more people came to you, didn't they, and seek your advice? Family members, well, folks like that?
0: Well, yeah, so so I I was working in the industry. I was going to a lot of conferences, lots of conferences. I met hundreds of probably some of the smartest investors in the world that were either running maybe a large amount of family money or a, a large endowment or a foundation, and then they were taking that money and spreading it around to various managers. Our firm was one of them. Uh, and, and I was asking them, well, how do you think about your overall portfolio and the approach? I understand, you know, where we fit in, but but how do you think of the whole thing? And I kept getting uh, directed to um, a person named David Swenson who ran the Yale Endowment and still does. And they they all said I kept hearing this over and over. If you really want to understand the best way to manage money, go uh, go read this book by this guy who runs the Yale Endowment. They're the most successful. Long-term money management uh, stewards in the world, and I read it, and I began to talk. My friends would ask me, what, you know, what do you think of my portfolio? And I began to realize that the Wall Street guys were to, speaking a completely different language than the um, than these guys that are the smartest money managers in the world. And I um, I thought, wow. I think I think with some technology and new things that are happening out there, one could emulate their their practice uh, and get rid of the whole wall Street uh, problem that I had encountered and so I first began a company that was an online tool to help people put together and manage portfolios using this big league investment method that I had discovered and also uh, it, it really had not been feasible for everyday investors to, to do until very recently, about the time I was looking at this. Um, and there were several reasons for that, which I won't get into, but kind of a lot of things converged technically, and I thought, wow, man, everybody can do this. They, they, wouldn't, ha- they wouldn't have been able to have done it a few years earlier, but they can do it now. So I launched a company back in 2009 um, uh, called Market Riders, and it, it, it was the very first of what's now a very big trend called robo-investing. Um, uh, and others went on to take that concept a lot further. But I, I began talking with a very close friend of mine uh, in the D.C. area named Scott Puritz. And, and Scott and I had gone to Harvard Business School together, and I was showing him what I was finding, that there's a, a real opportunity here to uh, help people invest in a much better way than, than the Wall Street practices of the of the past. And I said, but you know, it, it really is going to require a different business model than the one I'm pursuing. And we together invented a business model that we think is amazing and disruptive. And at the end of the day, helps people who are saving and accumulating money, uh, live a lot better and retire with more money. So we, we launched rebalance, um, and uh, we did that about uh, in 2013, about going on six years ago, seven years ago. And uh, it all came from my, my need to figure out what to do with my own money because of uh, a disabled child.
1: I, I like, love this story because it's kind of, an, I guess, you, what you'd call it, an organic start. You, you did something for good, proper motivations. You tried to get smart. You tried to properly store the money, and particularly with your son in mind. And it just kind of grew and evolved into something that's that's really cool. Tell us about it. Tell us about what Rebalance does and how it saves the investors money and gets them typically a better return.
0: Sure. Uh, so let, let's just start with, uh, with 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 me and and Scott. I mean, we we're both guys who um, we love the concept of doing doing well by doing good. Um, we we really both uh, brussel at at injustice and. Uh, things that that are happening to people by by people or companies that may be a bit uh, not immoral but amoral, and so I, I showed Scott, look, here's what I'm seeing out there, and and Scott has a great strategic mind, and together we 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 came up with this idea that a pretty simple idea. Uh, if there's a a person or couple or family and they're working really hard and they're busting their, you know what, to uh, save some money and they've been smart enough to put it away and accumulate it. If they're gonna go to a firm for some help, then that firm ought to really think of their job kinda like a doctor. It's like a Hippocratic oath. Like you you have to as an advisor say what's the best way to help that person who's taken their life energy and and, and put it into some work or whatever and and the result is this money, how do you really help them grow that in the fastest, safest way possible? And how do you do that and build a profitable business at the same time where you put them first? And that's a pretty simple idea, right? I mean, yep. that's that's what we should all be doing in this business. And, and, and I think, unfortunately, while there are a lot of people who want to do that in this business, they're operating under a business model that doesn't allow for that so we started with that one very simple and very focused idea and we built the whole company around that so one thing we know is that if people uh, pay a lot in fees uh, they can have dramatic amounts of their money uh, uh, attrition uh, uh, go away Uh, fees are the biggest enemy of performance and in a portfolio so we said okay well, we need to be paid for our advice but if we can find a way to build our company in the cheapest way possible uh, and deliver like champagne service on a beer budget price, um, that'd be amazing. How could we do that? Well, Scott and I have both built businesses using lots of technology. We've leveraged technology in every nook and cranny of our company. And so we're able to uh, run a business like this at, at, at a, and, and charge fees that are half of anybody else out there. Uh, through a variety of, of strategies and, and, and implementations. We, um, we use uh, funds that have been proven to outperform others that happen to be about a tenth the price. So there's a hundred little things we do, but at the end of the day, we build a company uh, that you know, in a pretty short order has uh, gathered around $640 million of assets uh, has been in the national press multiple times because of how unique and, and, and extraordinary it is. We've been in the New York Times front page business section. We've been on uh, PBS, did an entire special on our business. Uh, we've been able to attract a world-class investment committee. Three of the most famous people in our industry have come together to bring these methods to everyday investors um, and so uh, we, we provide a great service, and, and ultimately, we know that people want—they want three things. They want to know their money's invested in a really safe and powerful way, and, and inexpensive. Uh, they want to know that they can see a path and a plan forward uh, financially, knowing that they're not going to run out of money when they're going to need it the most at an elderly age, and they also want. Someone on the other end of the phone that can help them make very critical decisions as they come up financially. Uh, You know, is it time for me to take Social Security? Um, Should I put money in my 401k or fund my college uh, account for my kids? Um, Is it smart to refinance my home? Those kind of financial questions. And so, rebalance is all about that. We've we've packaged up a variety of services and offer it probably half the price of most uh, wealth managers out there. So that's what we did, Ed. We, we just thought, how do we help people live better lives with the money they've earned and retire with more than, uh, than, than, and help people to that end?
1: Well, that's really a cool story because it's uh, you probably would have never imagined that when you had Jack and you had those worries years ago, that, that it would lead to this kind of thing where you're helping so many people that are trying to hold on to as much of their retirement money as possible and get good returns as well. Um, Let's take a step back. I mean, we've got a few more minutes. We typically ask our guests to issue some sort of a call to action, but I kind of want to merge that in with uh, some lessons learned. I mean, you've learned some very profound lessons that you share with me on the phone uh, from Jack and and your children have and others around him. What would you like to share with people? What would would you like to challenge them to do and think about the disabled? And what are some of the core lessons you've learned from raising him?
0: Well, I would say that... um with other kids or anybody I think I mentioned this earlier that we tend to uh, have uh, I think bigotry or or a a lot of racism ill will all that stuff with other people tends to happen just because of, of fear and and we don't understand so I've just again watched people who walk up to Jack they're reticent they don't understand they don't you know, they're, they're nervous. Uh, just grown adults. You know, look at this guy, and he's the most harmless person in the world, and they don't know what to do. And so, I just think that pushing people to interact with something they are they do not understand or not familiar with immediately, in a in a blink of an eye, uh, eradicates the fear and creates acceptance and understanding, and just that it's a magical thing that happens. So, I've watched that with kids in in our town and uh, and even adults and I, I just think that's like one of my biggest lessons uh with jack uh the other is probably um you know for jack doing certain things is just really hard like you see him struggle with uh you know making sure he's not going to trip when he goes down a step or just trying to do one little thing just things that all of us take for granted uh Uh, you know, picking up a smaller object with our two fingers. So you kind of realize, you know, everybody finds certain things really hard to do. Certain of us find certain things really easy to do. And we're all different. And um, just to kind of be grateful for the things that that we can all I can do that are easy for me to do and, uh, and be be a little more accepting, you know, for others who can't. So say those are the, you know, a couple things. And, and, also for children who've grown up around Jack uh in a way he's given them uh lessons that he'll never understand but my other two children and their friends and kids around them uh just you know they've all kind of gotten a little bit of a of an old soul mentality being able to be around a kid like Jack so it's been an interesting experience and I'm sure uh you know the next 20 years God willing will be uh <laughs> as interesting, if not more.
1: That's great. Listen, Mitch, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing uh, your journey with Jack with us, and also for the work you're doing at Rebalance uh, to protect and educate retirement investors. i got to believe that uh, your success is due to your good and proper motivations. If listeners want to find out more about Rebalance, uh, please visit their website at rebalance360.com. That's rebalance360.com. This is Ed and Mitch signing off from Grace and thirty on W E R A L P Arlington ninety six point seven FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.